0: Thank you, praise team. That was great, great song. Do you believe he loves you? All right, let's stand together and read two verses out of Isaiah 43. And I want to give you a New Year challenge from God. New Year's resolutions are great. I'd rather get a New Year word. Amen? Isaiah 43, and by the way, before we read this, 1 Peter 4, we're finishing Wednesday night. We will be here. We'll be finishing 1 Peter 4. It's great stuff. And so I want to encourage you, if you can be here Wednesday night, we have a strong Wednesday night service. Wednesday night is not an afterglow service. We put as much into it as we do Sunday. Amen? So, Isaiah forty three eighteen. Here's a word from God for us. Forget the former things. Can you say with me, forget it? Forget about it. Then he says, Don't dwell on the things of the past. Why? Look around you, see? Because I'm doing a new thing. Now it is springing up, the Hebrew reads actually. Now it is around you springing up. Do you not perceive it? Here's what I'm doing. Here's the new thing. I'm making a pathway in your wilderness, and I'm making streams in your desert. That ought to give you holy ghost bumps. That's good news. If you're in a wilderness, the Lord's already sent the construction crew. And if you're in a desert, He's already dug a well and the streams are starting to flow. So let's look at what the word of the Lord says to us. Father, thank you for your word. Give us a year that is great and a word that is like a hook in our spirit, an anchor to our soul, that is a promise for the 2011 year. Speak to us, Lord, supernaturally as only you can, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you better listen, this is going to be good and you're going to need it. Now, it's always good. A text without a context is a pretext. When you read something in the Bible, you need to look at what came in front of it and what comes after it. That's context. The context of this, Isaiah gave gave this word to the people of Israel when they were languishing in Babylonian captivity. They had been taken away into captivity because of their own sin. They were living in a foreign land with a foreign language, a foreign culture. They had many trials and tribulations there, the burning fiery oven the three Hebrew children were hurled into, Daniel in the lion's den, many trials, many tests of their faith. But there they were languishing and they were beating themselves up. They had lost hope. They were filled with despair. They were kicking themselves because they knew that they were there for their own actions, nobody else did it to them. They did it to themselves, and that makes a trial way worse when you know you did it to yourself. So here they were; they were as down as down could get. They lost everything: their homeland, the promises of God—at least temporarily, not not permanently, but temporarily. They had lost their fellowship with Him. They had lost their honor. And they were walking with a sense of shame. Now, some of you are right there. And some of you listening by radio are in the same spot. You're living in shame. You're kicking yourself. You're wishing you hadn't done this, that, or the other. And you know that you're experiencing some pain because you brought it on yourself. And you're having to deal with that. And that's not easy to deal with. And so, our God is such a good God that he sent them... An encouraging word in the middle of their pain. And I can't tell you how often those two passages have lifted me in my Christian walk. As a matter of fact, those two verses are probably more worn out than most of the verses in my Bible. And I got a lot of worn out verses because you know, he whose Bible is worn out probably isn't. Pray about that and you'll get it tomorrow. But those two verses I have gone to over and over again. Through the years that I've walked with the Lord, and this summer, I will have been preaching 40 years. I started when I was 18. So you do the math. I've been preaching 40 years. I got saved at 16 in a juvenile home for sale of narcotics at 16 years old. I heard the gospel for the first time in my life. And at 18, I had an incredible experience with the Holy Spirit, and God put his call on my life. And I started preaching when I was 18. So I've been at it 40 years. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone to that passage. And God has said, don't remember the former things. Don't consider, don't dwell on, don't mull over, don't regurgitate the things that have passed away. Behold, I am doing a new thing. I want that word to lodge in your spirit today. I am doing a new thing. See, when you walk with God, when you know the Lord, then when you go through a tragedy or a difficulty or a a heartbreak or a, a disillusionment or a setback, you know that it's not just you and the setback. But you know there is a God in your life who saw it, who knows it, who anticipated it, who is already at the end of your trial saying, come on, we're going to get through this to the other side. And you know that that God that we love and walk with is able to take anything and work it together for our good. So there is always hope in the midst of pain. And you will have pain as a believer. Being a believer doesn't exempt you from pain, but it does give you hope in the midst of the pain that the God of all things, the mighty God, the everlasting God, the powerful God, the sovereign God has got you in the hollow of his hand and he's going to walk you through. And that's what these people, languishing in their captivity, came to grips with. They had a God. And so this God was saying to them, look, I don't want you dwelling on the things of the past. I'm doing a new thing. And I'm sharing this the first Sunday of the new year because you know what? We don't need a New Year's resolution. We need a new thing from God. I want a new thing from God. I said, I want a new thing from God. New Year's resolutions are what the world does, and 90% of them are never lived out anyway. Most of you that made a New Year's resolution, you're going to lose it by the time this first month is over anyway. But guess what? When God does a new thing, when you set your heart to seek God and see a new thing, it is not taken away from you. Now, Isaiah the prophet clearly and plainly lays out what we must do to experience a new thing. I want to know if I'm talking to people who want a new thing from God. Do you? A blessed thing? Well, that's kind of convincing. Come on now. I want to know if I'm talking to people who are excited about the Lord... Come on. And you want to see a new thing. See, when God does a new thing, what he means is something you've never seen before. If it was uh, an old thing, he'd say, I'm going to do an old thing again. But no, or the the usual thing again. No, that's not what he said. He said, I'm going to do a new thing. You've never seen this before. A new thing. Well, I want anything God has for me. So here's what Isaiah says. He says... If you want to know how to come into this new thing, he's talking to these people now in captivity. He says, here's what you're going to have to do. First, quit looking backward. You ought to write that down. Quit looking backward. God says, remember not the former things. Because, see, they were looking back. They were looking back on their failure. Looking back on their bad decisions. They were looking back on past victories and past failures. And Isaiah knew they were stuck in the past. Nothing will keep you from the things of God and the best that God has for you like being stuck in your past. They were stuck. And if they hadn't been stuck, he wouldn't have said, quit remembering it. Quit recalling it. Now, the word remember comes from a Hebrew word. That means to to mark something. Now, when the children of Israel crossed the Jordan, they came to the other side of the Jordan, Joshua said, I want you to get a pile of stones, and I want you to build a great big pile of stones. And what they're going to be is they're going to be memorial stones. And it's for you and your children and your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. I want you to be able to take them to this spot over and over again and say, see those stones? They are a memorial, a remembrance of the day that God took us across this Jordan. And there are things in our life, church, that we need to do that with. You ought to have a memorial for the day you got saved. You ought to always remember the day you got saved. Wasn't that a great day when God took you across the Red Sea? And you were baptized into Jesus Christ. You came out on the other side and left Egypt behind. And you began walking towards that promised land. And you had the cloud by day, the fire by night, the Holy Spirit, the blessings of God, the presence of God, the, 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 the peace of God and the love of God. Wasn't that a great day when God saved you? You ought to always remember that. And if you can't thank God for anything else, it may be really bad. You can always say, Lord, thank you that I'm saved. Thank you that I'm saved. You ought to have a memorial that marks that. And, and, you know, your marriage or the time that you surrendered completely to the call of God. Those are things you ought to mark and go back to. That's important. But listen carefully to me. That's not what these people were doing. Sometimes we mark things that cause us to look back in an unhealthy way. We mark things. That we always look back on that are not healthy for us to look back on, not good for us to look at. God is telling them there's a reason. The windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror. Most of you, when you leave today, you're not gonna drive home. I hope all of you, you're not gonna drive home looking in the rearview mirror. If you do, I'll come visit you today in either Harris or All Saints. Because you won't make it home looking in the rearview mirror. But a lot of people live. And walk out their journey in Christ, look in the rearview mirror. The rearview mirror is great, but it's not what you drive by. It's only for an occasional glance for perspective. But you don't drive by the rearview mirror. You drive looking out the major windshield of the car. Listen, God is saying, my vision for you, my purpose for you, my destiny for you, my call on you is the windshield. My future for you is the windshield. The past is the past because it's past. So you look back there and you learn from your past, but you don't drive that way. No, no, no. We drive looking forward. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future windshield and hope windshield. I have a future for you. And you know, when you're going through a trial, there is nothing that will carry you through it like that. I can go through anything as long as I have my eyes on him because when I keep my eyes on him I'm looking through the windshield and I know that no matter what I'm going through he's got it all in his hands and he's thinking future he's thinking hope he's thinking new thing he's thinking good thing every good and every perfect gift comes down from the father of lights with whom there's no variableness neither shadow of change and he's going to do something good for you this year So we live going through the windshield, but that's not what Israel was doing. They were doing this. They were living this way. Here we are in captivity. We did this. We blew it. They're looking through the rearview mirror, and it was depressing them. It was oppressing them. It was hindering them. It was defeating them. And so God said, I'm going to give them a word. I'm going to send them a word. And that word is good down through the centuries for all of us who walk with God is remember not the former things. This looking back problem can apply to bad things or good things. For instance, you can put all your eggs in the the basket of past victories and use those past victories to sustain you for today when what you really need is you need a fresh victory today in the now of your life. You need a fresh victory. Children of Israel had a lot of victories they could look back on, and they were doing that, and it was hurting them. They looked back on leaving Egypt by the power of God. What an incredible miracle and breakthrough they had. Leaving Egypt by the power of God. Miracle after miracle after miracle. Ten of them. Finally, Pharaoh turning them loose. Crossing the Red Sea on dry land with water glistening on either side. Conquering the land of Canaan. Defeating the awesome giants. All these things they were doing and did. Past victories. They could have hung their harp on. And said, well, you know, I've arrived. Look at all the victories that I had. And this is the very thing that was making their captivity so hard, though. You know why? Because they'd had so much and blew it. So the past victories were killing them. Look what we had. Look what God did. Look what he gave us. Look how he moved on our behalf. And what did we do? God gave them truth. They lived a lie. God gave them the temple. They gave him idol worship. God gave them his commands. They lived like they were suggestions. God gave them wealth, and they used their wealth to abuse the poor. God gave himself to them, and they gave him nothing but rejection. God said, I gave you my face, and you gave me your back. I love you, and you walked away. You know, in the natural, children of Israel did not, re- did not deserve the blessing of God. He could have just left them there. But he still loved them, and I want you to hear me today. Because some of you are struggling like they were. He still loved them. And when they were being carried off into bondage, read about it in Lamentations, it's terrible. Carried away in chains, carried away, starving to death, children taken from moms and dads, families destroyed, the whole nation being carried off into bondage, strange land, strange tongues, strange people, different, losing everything. And yet God still loved them. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah 29 11, that I already quoted, was another word to them as they were being carried into bondage. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord thoughts of good and not of evil to give you future and to give you hope. That was spoken to them as they were being carried away into chains into Babylon. And now this word from Isaiah comes to them while they're just about ready to be released. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. It'll drag you down. In order to move out of the shadows of failure, they had to turn their focus away from the past, good or bad. Just like some of you today or listening by radio need to do. Some of you are focused on the good old days. Those were the days, my friend, we thought they'd never end. Remember that song? I'm dating myself. We'd sing and dance, yeah. But here's what you're doing. You got out your violin and you're saying, there'll never be another time like that time back then. Oh, no, it's never going to come. You play your violin and you say, if only I could go back to those golden days, those good old days, when it seemed the blessings never ended, when God was moving and that church was great, and this was great and that was great, and all my friends were great, and oh, I wish, I wish I could go back, but since I can't, fooey on today. Do you remember that when you were back there then, you were grumbling? Have you ever noticed how we romanticize the past? Oh, I miss those days. But back in those days, you were going, man, i tell you what, this is tough. But the further you get away from it, the more you romanticize it, embellish it, glorify it. <laughs> have you ever noticed that? Well, if I could just go back, if I could just have those good old days back, I'd be happy, then I'd be happy, then I'd be content. Then I'd serve God again as before. You know, the Bible says don't ever do that. Don't don't look in that rearview mirror pining for the past. That marriage, that relationship, that job, that church, that move, that time, that culture. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7.10, don't always be asking, Why were the former days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions they weren't better than these oh yes they were pastor Jeff I made more money I had more friends ah, but see the reason God says don't look back and say those days were better than these because then you are discounting the ability of God to bless you in the now you are saying it was great back then and you did great back then but you sure can't do it now but God says don't say that because if you will pull your face out of the rearview mirror and look forward, I'm going to do a new thing. Shall you not know it? I'm going to do a new thing. (laughs) Or, you know, here's another thing we do. Some of you, and I've done this before, you live under the stinging whip of if only. If only I hadn't made that decision. If only I hadn't left that job. If only I hadn't dated that person. If only I hadn't married that person. Don't Look up at me now. Look up at me. If only I'd used better sense. If only I hadn't gone in that direction or this direction or walked that way or this way. Then, then I'd be happy. God's word to his people was, listen, don't beat yourself up over what you cannot change and you can't bring back. Don't beat yourself up over what you cannot change. The past is the past, and you can't do anything about it. It's past, P-A-S-S-E-D. You can't go backward in the future. Sorry, Michael J. Fox. You can't go back to your future because there's no future in your past. What you have is now faith is. Now faith is. God wants to do something today. Now. Right now. You don't have the past. The past is gone. Can't do anything about it. Can't go back, back, change decisions. It's all done. It's all gone. What you've done, you've done. Where you've been, you've been. What you are, you are. And all of us today here are the result of the decisions we've made up to this day. You can't take anything back, but what you can do... Is you can decide to seek God with all of your heart, and you can watch God do a new thing. Shall you not know it? Now it shall spring forth. He's going to make a road in your wilderness, and he's going to give you a river in your desert, and he's going to do something that will make you laugh. When when Abraham and Isaac, or when Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, his name means laughter because they laughed. God blessed them in such an incredible way that all they could do was laugh. I want a laugh blessing. Some of you are starting to tune in. (laughs) The good news is that God was not condemning them for their past. That's the good news. Do you get it? He was saying, you're condemning yourself. I'm not condemning you. You're beating yourself up. I'm not beating you up. Instead, he's encouraging them. Forget about your past. I'm giving you an opportunity to start over. He's the God of the second chance, third chance, fourth chance, fifth chance. As long as you're alive and your heart is beating, we serve a redemptive, restoring, forgiving God. Paul the apostle essentially said the same thing. He said, here's one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal and win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Watch this now. You think you've got some hard things to forget? Paul the Apostle, when he was Saul, killed Christians, tore moms from dads, children from parents, hurled them into prison, took their future away, their life away, their hope away, their security away, he was brilliant, brilliant mind. One of the most brilliant minds God has put on this earth. Genius. That means he remembered well. Don't you know, I know the devil. Don't you know, when he first got saved, the devil visited him. And in his mind's eye, he saw the faces of the people he'd thrown into prison. He heard the cries of the children, Mommy, Mommy, Daddy, Daddy. Daddy. Don't you know he did? I know he did. He had to grapple with what he had done. Don't you know some of the Christians said, why should I receive you? I had an aunt, an uncle, a mom, a dad, and you. He had to forgive himself. He had to walk under the light of redemption. Not his past. When he said forgetting what lies behind, that word forgetting means to put something out of your mind on purpose. You don't wait for it to kind of go away. You intentionally put it out of your mind. Get out of my mind. I will not think about this. I will not dwell on this. I will not turn to that and meditate on it. I will not regurgitate what happened. I will not live in the rear view. Because if I do, I will never do anything for Jesus. I will beat myself up. Don't you know the devil said to him, Who are you to call yourself an apostle, dude? You killed people, slaughtered people, imprisoned people, children, parents, eaten up by wild animals. You, you were the ringleader. Who are you to get out there and call yourself an apostle? Not just a Christian, but an apostle? You know what he had to do? He had to put on sunglasses S-O-N. He had to forgive himself. See, if you're going to move forward in God, here's what he said. Forgetting and reaching are the order they're in. That is, you must forget to reach. You must forget something to reach for something. You can't reach for God's best as long as you're remembering and holding on to the past. You've got to be forgetting and reaching. Forgetting precedes reaching. Reaching. Paul had to come to a place, Saul to Paul, where he said, I will see myself through the eyes of redemption. I will not see myself according to my past. And I will do great things for God. And thank God Paul overcame the condemner and wrote in Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Jesus Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And he forgot, he chose To put it out of his mind. What do you need to put out of your mind? What do you need to quit beating yourself up? How long are you going to let the devil beat you up where you're not doing anything for God? Well, if you knew what I did, I don't need to know what you did. I do know this whatever you did is not greater than the blood of Jesus, it's not greater than the blood of Jesus. See, if you, if you won't forget and forgive yourself and maybe forgive some other people, you will not be able to reach for God's new thing. Because you're going to be back here looking in that rearview mirror. Oh, man, look at what I do. Oh, I just can't believe. Oh, my gosh. I remember when and where and who and how they betrayed me and what they did. And you live there. And here you are driving down the highway of salvation, looking in that rearview Crash. And you come limping in the church. Boy, you better preach good today. You better preach me up today. And Pastor Joe, you better sing me up. What's the matter? Oh, the devil's after me. Did you know the devil cannot get to you if you forgive and you walk with him? The condemn- condemnation won't work. The guilt trip won't work. The holding you back won't work. The Bible says... Before it says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you, it says, submit therefore to God. Then resist the devil. See, you've got to forgive others and forgive yourself. That is submitting to God. Then you resist the devil. If you're walking in disobedience to God, the devil doesn't care what you say. You've got to submit first, therefore, to God. Then resist the devil and he'll flee from you. I have a pastor friend, and Jeff McLeod, edit this out for the radio. Seriously, this is for your ears only. I uh, have a pastor friend who had a major stroke. He woke up, you know, his wife woke up one morning about 3 4 o'clock in the morning. He was crawling around on the bedroom floor on all fours. She said, What are you doing? He didn't know who she was, he didn't know who he was. It paralyzed half his body. Got him to the hospital. He couldn't add, read, think, give his name. They put him in a hospital bed. He had a large church, and it looked like it was over. He's sitting there, and his mind began to recover, but he couldn't move, couldn't speak. So, he has some folks come visit him some Christians, some pastors. They didn't think he could hear, but he could hear everything. He just couldn't respond. He heard him say, who's going to take his church? Well, I don't know, big old church. we'll, we'll, We'll talk about it. Then, you know, he's got a cute wife. Now, he said to me, fury was building up in me. And the Lord spoke to me. When I couldn't even talk. You know, when I go pray for people in the hospital, even when they're comatose, I fully believe they can hear me. Their soul, their spirit can respond to the Word of God. I've always believed that. So, The Spirit of God spoke to him and said, If you don't forgive them, you will not be healed. In his spirit, I forgive them, I forgive them. (laughs) He said, Jeff, from that moment on, I began to be restored. God told Job, If you don't forgive your three. Dumbo friends for giving you such horrible counsel through the whole book of Job, I'm not going to restore you. But if you pray for them, I'll restore you. All I'm saying is, see that rear view mirror, when you've got an offense back there, an offense, and this is what these people had, they were offended with themselves, offended with each other, they were offended with God. And they're looking in the rear view mirror, and here's this new thing out there that God wants to do. But God says, if you don't forgive and if you don't quit thinking about that past, I can't take you forward. This is really a word from God, y'all. Because some of you, you're walking around with ball and chain, just like this. Just the way you walk into church, say, so "Well, I just can't let go of it." Yes, you can. Well, I don't feel like forgiving. You're not supposed to feel like it. You feel like whooping them. But you can forgive with a word of your mouth. You've got power over your tongue. Just say it. I forgive. Forgive. forgive, forgive. Oh, that's what he did when he couldn't even talk. And now he's in the pulpit, he's preaching, he's completely restored all the paralysis left. So here it is. You've got to get your eyes off that rear view mirror and you've got to forgive, you've got to release, you've got to, nothing will hold you in that rear view mirror like not letting go of the past. Just ask Lot's wife, she turned turn around and look back. Why'd she look back? Because she couldn't let her past go. I'm not telling you that we are to hide from the past. That's not what he's saying. Or that we should walk in some kind of unhealthy denial. That's not what he's saying. Or that we shouldn't own up to our mistakes and our sins. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there comes a time when you can no longer let your past prevent you from moving on with God. Good or bad. Losers live in the past. Winners learn from the past and they move forward. The good news at the starting gate of this new year is this, and this is good news, and I want you to hear this real well. God doesn't plan your future based on your past. If that doesn't give you Holy Ghost bumps, you need to get saved. That's good news. He's not saying, well, let me add up what they did back there. Well, gee, that's really cutting their future back. Uh Uh-uh. God says, I see you through the eyes of redemption. And what I do for you and your future is because of Jesus, not you. I am dealing with you based on my son, not your past. It is my son I'm looking at. It's my son I'm honoring. It's my son that I'm blessing. It's his word and his covenant that I'm blessing. That's why. So not only do you have to quit looking back, But you've got to adjust your focus. See, God says, see. That means look around you. I'm doing a new thing. Now, I love the Hebrew here, now it springs up. Your translation says but the Hebrew is, now it is already springing up around you. Do you not perceive it? In other words, hey, look around you and notice what I'm doing in the middle of your pain. I'm at work on your behalf in ways that you don't know anything about. But you need to know I'm at work. He's already working to bless your way. He's already working to prepare a good thing for you. He's already at work behind the curtains. He's already moving in ways you're not aware of. That's what God is saying. This is exactly what David did in Psalms 43, verse 5. Here's the Message Bible. I had to use this. It's so good. It says, Why are you down in the dumps, David says, talking to his soul? Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? Fix your eyes on God Soon I'll be praising him again. He puts a smile on my face. He's my God. Soon I'll be praising him again. It's only a matter of time before it changes. Why? Because he's my God. Song of Solomon, I love this. Chapter 2, the winter rains are over gone spring flowers are in blossom all around you the season of singing has come look around and see that god's doing a new thing if you look around you here's what you're going to see what is the new thing i'm going to make a road in your wilderness if you ever been in the wilderness lost one thing you're lost because there's no road wildernesses don't have roads God said, I'm going to come into your wilderness. <laughs> so can Christians be in a wilderness? Oh, yes. Can believers be in a wilderness? They walk through wilderness for 40 years. Tough times, hard times, trying times, vexing times, tempting times, dry times. There you are in your wilderness and you say, oh, I see no way out. God says, God says you quit looking in the rearview mirror. And you start looking to me, and you look through the windshield of faith, and I am already sent the construction crew to make a road in your wilderness. I'm going to give you a way out. And you're going to walk right out on a brand new road paved out by God. Has that ever happened to you? You wake up and you say, I don't know how I'm ever going to get out of this pain, ever going to get out of this mess. I don't know how it's ever going to happen. And God says, you just trust me and give it to me. And you just watch and see what I do. And one day you wake up and you hear it. The construction crew. Suddenly, I never noticed that path. God says, come on. You start walking down it. It gets clearer and clearer and clearer. And all of a sudden you're in the open. You look back and say, God made a way. He said, I'm going to give you a river in your desert. That's another thing. You're in a desert. One thing you don't, reason people die in the desert, there's no rivers. God says, doesn't matter to me if you're in a desert, hot, dry, thirsty. I'm going to give you a river flowing into everlasting life. I'm going to create a river in your desert. Now that's two new things I'll take. A river in your desert. A road through your trouble. Amen. 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 You may feel today like your past has made you a wasteland. That's exactly what they felt like when Isaiah sent this word. We've blown it irrevocably, irrevocably, irretrievably. We are stuck. No, no, no. Not true. You may very well have made your life a wasteland. But God says, I can give you a new life. Listen carefully to me. He's the only one that can do it. It's not a resolution. It's not rehabilitation. It's not self-improvement. It's God doing a miracle in your life. You've got to see yourself and your possibilities through God's eyes. I'm right now making a way in the desert. Quit looking at yourself. Look at Him. Therefore, if any person is in Christ, He's a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. Now, here's the facts I want to give you in closing. When this word came to these people, all of the people and all of the events that they needed to come together to release them from Babylon were already afoot. God was already moving. He had raised up Cyrus to release them. He had already brought back uh, all kinds of workers and artisans and specialists and people and circumstances were all lining up That after 70 long years, they were just about to get out. And so God says, now for you to get out, listen carefully to me. You're going to have to not remember the past. Don't stay there. But you grab the new thing. Now here's the historical fact. Most of them did not leave. They're called the diaspora. The diaspora, the dispersion of the Jewish, the Hebrew people. When, Rome, or when they were taken into captivity, there were two major diasporas, but this one, when they were taken away into Babylon, most of them dispersed throughout the world and never returned to their call, their highest destiny, their highest purpose. You know why? Because they couldn't let go. No, wouldn't let go. A minority walked out went in, rebuilt the wall, rebuilt the city, and walked in God's purpose. A majority lost it. God can give you truth, but then you've got to walk in that truth. And you know what I want to pray over us today? That every single person here will receive this word and say, you know what, I'm not living in my past. I'm not carrying that ball and chain around anymore. I'm not carrying that baggage behind me. I'm going to let it go. If there's anything holding me back, this week, in this this what we call dead week between Christmas and New Year, I made some phone calls to some people um, because I don't want anything between me and God's maximum blessing. So I called some people, Kathy said, what'd you call them for? She's meaner than me. <laughs> you know why? Because if they get on to me, they get on to her. If you want to get her after you, do something to me, she'll come after you. That's true. She said, what would you call them for? I said, well, I didn't do it for them. I did it for me. Because you can't control what other people do, but you can control what you do. And there's nobody worth holding me back. There's no thing worth holding me back. I want the maximum blessing that I can get from God this year for the rest of my life. So I made a phone call or two. The people that picked up the phone were very shocked. I know your mind is going, who was it? There's nobody here. I promise you. And and I just did whatever I needed to do. And I got free. I, I hung up and peace flooded my soul. So watch this. Um, I'm going for the gold. What about you? I'm not going to be the ones that stay in Babylon. I'm going back. I'm going to what God's called me to do, to build what God's called me to build, to do what He's called me to do. What about you? Can we stand together? And I want to pray a blessing over you. And I want you, would you let me pray a blessing over you? I want to pray a blessing. How many of you want to be blessed again this year? Do you? And do you want anything holding you back? All right. I want to pray for you. I want you to bow, would you? I want you to let the Holy Spirit search your heart. Is there a person or an event, a hurt, an offense that has stuck in your crawl. And it goes with you everywhere you go. It's like a ghost in your soul. It haunts you. I want you to know that the power of God is here today. And he is fully able to set you free. And I want you to let him search you and then just say, Lord, I forgive them or I forgive myself like Paul had to do, Israel had to do. Or Lord, I give you this hurt and I'm asking you, I'm opening up the door to that room and I'm letting you in to heal it. And I'm not going to carry it out of this building. Just go ahead. It could be an ex, it could be an ex-spouse, a former friend, former pastor, former church member. Co worker. It can be a son or a daughter or a mom or a dad. You just need to say, Lord, there's nobody worth holding me back. And then just utter the words, I forgive. I release them. Or I forgive myself. Turn. Your eyes upon Jesus. Go ahead and do it.